a heck of a win by your team, man. Pulling yeah. it out there at the end. Yeah, let's go. Um, and then, of course, that beautiful, beautiful <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneers win. Uh, do you learn anything from blowing anybody out, though? That's that's the question. Um, what? How do you say this? Our team was healthy, and they had a week. This is a. It's been a very interesting season because you know, of course, uh, with this season you didn't have the preseason and all of that fun stuff. So now you have teams who are still learning their offense entirely, it's, and I mean the Bucks aren't the only team in that situation. So it's kind of right. been like a meshing every week just trying to learn and become a better offensive unit like and then last week we had antonio brown in the mix which obviously i'm very hit or miss on that gentleman and i have my reservations a hundred percent but he did produce today and that's a good thing the longer tommy and him live together the better they're gonna get they're just living together rooming out eating snacks together you know their favorite thing is kettle corn they just sit around a fire and they eat some kettle corn it's a good time they talk about plays they review the game film and that's where we go from there you know what i like when the bucks win i get a tiktok video from tom brady over the next week and he goes great win guys on to the next one on to the next week (laughs) i look forward to it that's always what you get. So, you know, <laughs> on to the next week, as, I, as they say. And we're going to... Any way you can pull a win out, man. That's all that counts. Any way you can get a win. And here's what's beautiful is I'm just sitting here hoping for the love of God that the Saints lose today. So it just puts us over the edge. And, Who do you they know, play? A team. I don't uh, think they play anyone super great. They're actually moving to San Francisco right now. Even better. That's what you love to hear. Uh... <laughs> What do you call it? And also, you know, Rojo going for that 38-something points in fantasy. I just got a Christian McCaffrey trade declined the other day. It was it was accepted, and then it was vetoed in the fantasy league. So then I picked up Rojo because I needed a running back. And, yeah, 38 points today. So that's awesome, especially since I accidentally started Malcolm Brown, not realizing that I Wayne Gallman was, one, going to go off, but, two, that the priority running back – for Wayne or Malcolm Brown's team, the Chargers is healthy. So, I um, gotcha. whenever I pick up a player off of waiver wires, I give him a nickname. Wayne Goldman's nickname is Wayne G. Wayne G. <laughs> Wayne G. Be doing that thing. I have Wayne G. On my league too, and uh, <laughs> I like Wayne G. But yeah, so we're both here. I killed Taylor's daughter yesterday. <laughs> yeah, how, how did that play out? How is she doing? doing okay, good? so they took her to the ER and they found out that she's allergic to whatever kind of Japanese tree Will has in his yard, which I don't know why he has a Japanese tree in his yard, but he's a Japanese tree <laughs> in his yard. So she's very allergic to it, and I had no idea. So we are now going to have to get an EpiPen to carry with her just in case. Ooh, that's hard to gotcha. So. Yeah, she's allergic or, to cinnamon, too, right? Or got to stick it out of babysitting duties. I guess that'd be the other way to go with it. <laughs> Dude, I thought I did such a good job. I, like, killed that babysitting. And then I let them climb my kill, tree. Kill being a loose word. <laughs> but, you know, here we are. And we now at least have gotten together to talk about some wrestling. Uh, obviously, we're going to present this as a special bonus episode of the podcast in hopes of you know, releasing it on a regular basis. Uh, now, yeah. since this is a new thing, I don't know if we've actually talked about any time frames, but, you know, since it is a podcast, let's hit them with that generic shit we hit every week. So, hi, I'm Will. I'm Taylor. Hit I'm Kevin. Let's get it. <laughs> so, I think we were shooting around the King's Court idea. 
because this is going to be more of a special thing. And uh, with November presenting us with Survivor Series, and I mean, we've already hit Survivor Series in the podcast, or the main episodes of the podcast, we figured we hit the showdown. But WWE Network sucks ass and doesn't have Survivor Series Showdown 1990. Out of the five that were produced, it only has 1990. I think I'm a little bit triggered. How about you guys? Um, I don't know. This this was fine though. Still fun. I love all, I love I love old wrestling. Now I know that I really just like old wrestling better, and I don't want to watch new wrestling more. I just want to watch old wrestling more. I tried to tell you. I, guys. I love the spirit there. I love the spirit there. I think that uh, with the amount of content that you can get on the network, man. Trying to find something that they don't have is harder to find. You know, it's harder to come across. So anything that's out there, yeah, I'll watch it. Except obviously, Survivor Series Showdown 1990. Don't have your hopes <laughs> up on that. <laughs> you were able to find that needle, my friend. You know, that's what hard work provides. You know, I'm here to ruin the system. Uh, but you know who was also here to ruin the system? At least the WWF system back in the day. The Coke supplier of this pay-per-view man he was trying but i don't know if it worked for him <laughs> i can't wait to talk about 90 in a, in a week or two whenever we talk about it because it's just a coke show and this is too it's just coke everywhere i wonder who was <laughs> like i think we should take a betting race of who was the most coked out though ultimate warrior it's they don't need to bet anything it's over already i think it was rick I don't know. I, man. I think that's very close. That's very close. Rick in that promo, man. Yeah. He, he definitely. If you pick up on one thing out of that promo, I think he might have been so over the top he actually forgot to woo in the only promo he's never wooed in. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, Scott Hall or whatever he is in this. <laughs> this whole thing is just weird because I feel like he forgot the accent halfway through the first one for a second, and he had to like pause and remember where he was. He was like, "Wait a second. I'm supposed to be doing an accent. Let he me just go back and do it again. He certainly tried, though. He certainly, certainly tried. Like, it felt like in the second one, he's like, all right, I know who I am on this one. In the first one, he's like, uh, all right, Maine. So at one point, he's oozing machismo. Yeah. He's just really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was more like he delivered a promo like fake uh, Razor Ramon. And that's what I like. He know? was he was full tilt Razor Ramon in the second one, though. He was saying machismo as much as he could. I think someone pulled him backstage and grilled him. They were like, yo, you really fucking ruined that, dude. He, he we need you to a... come back even harder. I didn't understand. Like, So the thing about this whole production was there was a lot of promos. And there were double ups. And even we watched the dark matches. You watched the dark matches, too, right? I don't know. The matches that didn't have commentary and everything? Yeah. You skipped through that? Well, at the end, where yeah. you had all that big old block, I watched all of them. you damn right you did. So, and with those, <laughs> you saw, like, people wrestle, like, three matches. So, you had Bret, Mar Bret Hart and Vince McMahon interview during their picnic. That was my favorite part of this whole thing. Is that weird? No. I enjoy Bret Hart so much, especially his Stilo. Who wears a Babe Ruth shirt? Where did he get that? Oh. That, that shirt's actually in my notes. Would you his entire attire. Would you believe me, Taylor, if I told you he found that shirt at a store? I hope it was like a Goodwill find or something. Because I imagine him like, honestly, like rolling through the aisles of Goodwill. And he's like, ooh, Babe Ruth. It's mine. <laughs> I'm very... Honestly, if we're going to do this promo, though, Vince on the other side was even worse. Oh, dude, he had the goddamn drip. 
and that little windbreaker of his. I really think that was filmed at like Vince's house. My grandma has that same windbreaker in her closet. Like literally the exact same one. Would you believe me if I told you Vince still has that windbreaker to this day? I would buy it from him. And that was actually, you're absolutely right. That was actually recorded at Vince's house. See, I nailed it right on the head. Well, because I've been listening to so many uh, shoot promos where, I mean, like, perfect example, Bruce Pritchard talking about the days when he was writing for WWF and WWE, and they'd go, and they'd write by Vince's pool. So I'm like, yeah. I'm watching, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, yeah, that definitely looks like Stanford. They're probably sitting in Vince's, Vince's yard. And they, couldn't, they couldn't find a bench or a chair or anything else. It was just like, hey, guys, that hillside over there, that's the ticket. That's <laughs> that's where we've got to do this interview. Out of all the places around here, beautiful, beautiful spot of land I got, we're going to sit over there, and we're going to wait for a leaf to catch Brett in the face out of nowhere. But That leaf came down like Randy Orton and just kind of tagged him right across the face. <laughs> wait a second. I hope somebody else catches that damn leaf. But we're sitting here, though, and then you have to ask yourselves, can you blame them? That's my situation with this. Because, honestly, it, was, it hit me in the feels. I was like, when are they going to break the baguette, you know? They're breaking bread together. They're talking about how Bret Hart wants to be the greatest. Don't you love man. them when they're friends, though? Like, I love this version of them where they're just so happy together, like running through the fields holding hands. Why, can, why can't Vince be like this more? Why does he have to be a weird old man? I felt like this was like a PBS documentary. <laughs> it was shot like it. <laughs> it was a funny, funny little promo. <laughs> well, hey, let's go ahead and just get into it, though, because the first match of this was uh, Repo Man versus Tatanka. And Kevin, if I remember correctly, you have a spiritual relation to Repo Man. I do, I do. He was actually, so as a, as a, as a young man... Uh, Repo Man, you know, as uh, Barry Darso, former member of uh, Demolition, uh, actually got to wrestle at a small, small bar about five minutes from where I lived. A little place called the Scoreboard, and he was wrestling there as the Black Top Bully. Uh, I can't remember the exact year I was. I was a kid, but I'll always have that connection. Me and Repo, or Barry Darso, or you know, the blacktop bully. At one point, he was Mr. LPGA. Me and him will always run deep together. That's that's what I love. This is what's the best part about the 90s wrestling, is these, like, weird gimmick guys. I love it. Well, and, like, when I saw the Repo Man, he reminded me of the Hamburglar. He was just in there <laughs> to ruin someone's day. But, he, you know, he got a lot of steam. But if I remember correctly from watching Tatanka later on, like, he was undefeated at this point. So, of course, he was going to go over in this match. He does look like a burglar, and it's weird later because we have nails. So it's like, which one's the burglar? <laughs> you know, in the beginning of this match, too, I think uh, uh, Bobby Heaton says, Repo will be a test. And I was thinking to myself, wait a second. Is he actually going with the character here? Because we all know that Repo will not be a test for I don't think I've ever <laughs> seen him win a match. But for a regular guy that's just not paying his note, yes, Repo is always going to be a test. Oh, without doubt. And the thing with Repo, I was like, yeah, it would be a damn test if someone tried to tickle my damn armpit. I would I would test them <laughs> real quick. <laughs> and I was wondering during that match, was that do you think that was a rib or was that a signal? Because I, I couldn't quite tell. I think that was just that guy being weird and he did it like a regular thing. Like I think he accidentally did it once. 
and it like stuck. And he was like, "All right, cool. I'm just gonna start pe- tickling people's armpits." Now with me, it's not like with this. I watched twenty hours worth of Survivor Series 1992 content, like you know, watch this pay per view and watch all the surrounding events. I did a little research here and there, but you know, if it if you ask me, I just think it was a weird thing the Repo Man did on a regular basis. Do you think it would have been a better gimmick if he would have said "hoochie coochie coo" when he tickled him? I think that'd be there for you. That's kind of like your. Taylor, I need to put this out there in the universe. You really gravitate towards the weirdest things in wrestling. <laughs> like, if there's a far-out thing in wrestling, you're there for That's it. That's what I like about it. That's what's fun. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, you're all about that pudding match. You th- thought that was the level, highest level of competition there ever was. Man, it is, though. If you can wrestle in pudding, you can wrestle in anywhere. Yeah, that's a fair point, man. That's a fair point. I think that... With that, though, what if Repo was maybe going for a new finisher? Maybe he went for the armpit claw. Maybe that's what he was going for. Maybe he was trying to figure out if Tatanka, if he broke character and started laughing, if he went straight to that Native American yell that he did on his way down to the ring. That also would be something else. You know, in the words of the currently celebrating head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers America's team, Bruce Arians, no risk it, no biscuit. And so Repo Man's out here risking it for said biscuit, kind of like my man Fred Durst. And I don't know. Did it stick? Did it not? We'll have to watch more. I don't know if it stuck. <laughs> I, I can't remember seeing him in any other match where he went for that arm dick claw, man. That was, that was something else. Well, and like so like we uh, teased out, I guess, Tatanka went over. Do you guys have any more contents? Tatanka has a really nice armpit to tickle, though. Like, he's just up upwards in the shoulders. You know what I mean? Like, that's a big boy. So what I think you're trying to do is compliment Tatanka. What I'm getting from this is you're having weird fantasies about Tatanka. He's got great shoulders, man. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I think I think the, the match itself, the I mean, the action wasn't great. Tatanka... Tatanka was actually very, very good in the ring when you had those slow-paced, kind of methodic matches. I really kind of enjoyed that part of it. Um, the thing that was, I think the biggest thing that I took away from the match was the end of it and the brain scan. That I have that in my notes, too. I thought that was so cool. It was like, had like a football f- feel to it where they're yeah. like, actually highlighting stuff why the hell there's a bunch of stuff in this that they should still do but it is a little cheesy but it's kind of dope at the same time but dude if they they have those monitors at ringside why the hell aren't they using them i wonder if people would cook them on twitter if they did a brain scan now the and the best part about that brain scan was you hear you hear bobby heenan go there you see repo man He's just a good guy. You see his halo, and he draws the halo. <laughs> it was so perfect. It was a very much a John Madden feel. Yeah, absolutely. I loved every second of it. And I Just like both of you said, I feel like it should be brought back. Uh, but, you know, that's sometimes the way she goes. But Heenan was not completely out of it because we move on to that Mr. Perfect uh, Macho Man promo type deal where Heenan gets on his knees for perfect. And I think that in that, there is one spot in that that I really think that Perfect might have made the wrong decision. Because if you listen to him, Heenan does say, I'll never do anything wrong again. I'll buy you a car, and I will buy you a boat. Now, 
if it's up to me and I got a manager that'll never do anything wrong again, buy me a car and a boat, or I tag with Randy, I'm sorry, I'm taking the car and the boat and the manager that will do <laughs> nothing wrong again. But at the same time, I don't trust Bobby Heenan. I don't know if he can really get me a bar, uh, a bar, a, a car, or a yacht, a boat. He's washed up. Not really. No, that was, that was a low blow. I'm not coming for heating like that. But you know what? Actually, let's flip that coin. How much longer did he have after this run? I don't remember seeing him too far into the 90s. Well, not not in the managerial capacity, that's for sure. Obviously, he went uh, when he when he went over to WCW, he was behind the desk for quite a while and even up to I think was it WrestleMania 17 I want to say he did a special guest spot during the uh, the gimmick battle royal there on commentary and he's he, he was gold you put a mic with him and, and he is gold he'll, he'll make you he'll make you crack that's for sure but I definitely I appreciated the having Gorilla Monsoon on commentary you know you don't get that you forget that he did it for so long so to have him on that he is refreshing very very refreshing plus I love his hair because you're also walking the line of having Vince on commentary, and I don't. Nobody wants that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, nobody wants Vince on commentary. There was never a good. There was never a point when I watched Vince on commentary, and I got super excited. Uh, the big takeaways from watching Vince is that it seems like he doesn't really know wrestling holds, um, because everything he ever calls is a maneuver. No matter what, it's a maneuver. It could be a drop kick. It's a maneuver. It's a headlock. It's a maneuver. So it doesn't seem like he really knows the athletic part of wrestling, he'll tell the story. And then the other, watching him call Royal Rumbles was always the worst. Because no matter who was coming down, they were joining the fray. And you can't tell Vince, this guy's going to win this thing. It was it was just every single time. That was something that I just I can't do it with Vince on commentary. I don't think anyone can. And that brings us to a very fair point. But I would always listen to Mean Gene, no matter when he talks. And that's what we got heavy in this promo. Uh, do either one of you guys want to break it down? Uh, you can go ahead and start this one. I'll, I'll join in later. No. How about you, how, you take this one for Royal Taylor? All right. So this is the... This is... Which one is this? Oh, God. The <laughs> Macho Man and then the tingles of Mr. Perfect and Brian or Heenan. Okay. So this is the one where he... We just finished the one where he pulls him up by the necktie? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Okay. So, um, even in a work, I don't know if I'm letting somebody spit in my face. Um, just saying. I don't know how long I can take of that. Like, that spit in the face, I was like, oh, man, you're going to get hurt. I'm going to body your ass. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to take that one. That's a rough shot. That's a rough work right there. Macho Man does his thing, the usual stuff. I love, in the next one we're going to watch, he's way too coked out. In this one, he's just the right level of coked out. Ah. So, yeah, no, he didn't go off the rails as much as I expected him to. And during during that, did you did you ever catch Hillbilly Jim's reaction? He was just sitting out there in his overalls. He's got his hat going, and he's just sitting back at the table, just relaxing. Everything is cool in Hillbilly Jim's world, no matter what. He doesn't have any time for that bullshit. That's either. honestly my type of guy. Absolutely. <laughs> Say less. I love it. He was in, in uh, Legends House, and the one thing that he always said is, "I'm not here for for a long time. I'm here for a good time." And that, that just that just tells you, Hillbilly Jim is just just a laid back. He's a cool guy. The only thing missing is a beer. Someone get that man a nice cold one, and so he can move on with his day. 
Uh, so, do you guys want to move on to the Brooklyn Brawler versus Marty Jannetty? Because yeah. this was like kind of that time frame shortly after the Rockers had broken up. So, back to back, you have Marty Jannetty matches and then Shawn Michaels matches. Uh, Shawn Michaels versus David Boy was the match of the night, but we'll talk about this match first, obviously, because it came first. Um, so, is it cool to like Marty Jannetty, or because he killed somebody, do we not like him, or... <laughs> What's the take on this? I think I think that's a, that's that's a very good question. Uh, from where I sit, I love Marty Jannetty, the performer in the ring. I don't know him out of the ring. I have no idea, but the guy in the ring entertained me for a long time. He's love fire him. too. He's absolutely fire in the ring. But he definitely uh, set fire to someone's life in the respect that he definitely killed someone. Yeah, that's fair. So it, it's one like we always touch upon, and I'm not afraid to you know get to it. It is hard. You watch it and you're... I forgot. So, I, honestly, when I watched it, I was like, damn. I forgot how good Marty Jannetty is. And then you like texted me and you're like, so, is it cool to like Marty Jannetty? And I was like, wait. Oh, yeah. I was like, I don't know anymore. Because, obviously, that's really shitty. But Marty Jannetty did really run this match. Because if it wasn't for Marty Jannetty, uh, I could... I could go to sleep on Brooklyn Brawler, but I did think it was really funny. Me and Kevin were talking about this yesterday. Uh, that Doink the Clown made an appearance in this match, and if you don't know, Brooklyn Brawler was actually famous for running the or uh, the Doink the Clown gimmick. He was like the second incarnation of Doink the Clown. How many Doinks were there? Like three or four, I think. But yeah, he, there was there was quite a few. I think the first one was uh, a gentleman by the name of I want to say it was Matt Horn. I think so as well. And he was uh, he was actually a pretty ruthless heel for a long time and, and kind of made that pretty pretty interesting, kind of a darker side of the, the gimmick there. But I believe when when the brawler did it, it was always the happier side doink. It was the, the, the more uplifting kind of doink. And if I, won't me if I'm wrong, I think he is the last doink as well. So he picked it up. Whenever doink has showed up in the past five to ten years, it's been the Brooklyn Brawler. I wonder, I had this video game when I was a kid on normal Nintendo, which is really, really old, but it was a wrestling game, and I remember playing with Doink. Oh my god. Like, that was the character I always used. I didn't really watch it, but I loved Doink. I don't know why. I was attracted I was attracted to him in the game. I was like, that's my guy. That's who I want to use every time. Now, when you're watching that match, watching Brooklyn Brawler and Marty Jannetty, and then seeing Doink there in the crowd, in the, in the background, did your, did your attention immediately go away? From the match, because because mine sure as hell did. Oh yeah. As soon as I saw Doink, I was I was keyed in on him. I was waiting for the bucket of confetti or or one of those gimmicks that he was gonna do, and and I had myself kind of a hard time pulling myself back in and watching the match, knowing that Doink was out there doing crowd work. Well, no, and Doink was definitely uh, the focal point of this event, uh, or at least this match, because as soon as I realized. Marty Jannetty killed someone. I was like, oh man. And Brooklyn Brawler really didn't do it for me, other than, you know, how hard his pants pocket tried to stay on. God, that was, that was again, that was so beautiful. He has uh, some uh, West Side Story vibes to him. That's a great call. That is a great call. I, that's so good. I wish I would have thought of it. So, yeah, this match, uh, Marty Jannetty went over, correct? Yeah, yeah, he did, and he he once the match started going, because it was a little bit rough in the beginning, and then obviously we, my attention got drawn away thanks to Doink the Clown. But exactly, it was rough going, and then once Janetti and, and Brawler kind of started to click, you really 
got to see what Jeanette could do in the ring. Some very smooth moves. His moves looked great. He had a pretty interesting move set, especially for that time. Um, and then he did. He went over. He 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 got Brooklyn with the uh, the sweet chin music actually at one point in the match, and then went up for that uh, that flying fist drop from the top. I, I don't think he gets enough respect for what he did in that tag team with Sean. I think because it's Sean, people tend to gravitate towards Sean was running everything and it's all Sean and Sean, Sean, Sean. And it's like, he's not a, sh- a slub at all. No, There's a reason that team was so, so successful. I think watching watching this match uh, brought me back to, you know, as a kid watching Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels break up. And seeing him hit that that top rope fist because that was their their finisher. Each of them would come off the different corner rope or corner post and hit him with that top rope fist. And seeing Marty Jannetty do it by himself just seemed so lonely. Mm. It was just it was like the lonely fist finish. No, without doubt. And uh, I think it was because in the card they knew Shawn Michaels was com- was coming next, and that match honestly was a much bigger deal. Uh, but when you watch the match, you can tell why. Right, that Shawn Michaels match, that was from a Saturday Night's main event taping, I believe. Yeah, so and I loved how so Shawn is doing commentary in the during the match. And the whole time, like, they're alluding to the finish of the match. Like, they're like, yeah, that was all part of my strategy and stuff like that. And it's like, wait, so you won then, right? Because obviously he'd be like, oh, this is bullshit from Bulldog, you know, taking advantage of me, blah, blah, blah. The confidence that Shawn Michaels oozed in commentary really let you know who won before you even saw the finish. Well, they did They did tell you, going into one of their commercial breaks, uh, they're, they're, they said they're going to be joined by a new Intercontinental Champion, and they're going to show how that happened from, from I, I believe, it was Saturday Night's main event. So going into it, I don't think they were trying to cover up a, a finish or anything like that. Okay, so I must have mi- completely missed that though, then. I've got a, a lot of childhood feelings about this pay-per-view. I was a huge British Bulldog fan when I was a kid. He had, I had so all much VHSs and shit. Like he had so much drip with those cornrows. Man, I was him and IRS. Like later on, IRS comes and I love her when I are shyster, dude. You know who he is, yeah. right? <laughs> Do you know he's Bray Wyatt's dad? I didn't know that. Well, I actually did. I think you've told me before, but I'd forgotten. Yeah, that's Bray Wyatt so and Bowden. I don't know, like where I got those VHSs. Like it was before my time, but for some reason they stayed at my grandma's house. And I would always you know, pop them in. It's very interesting that you like Bulldog and Cornrows. Because one of my notes is Davy Smith in Cornrows, bad Bulldog. See, I think it is this. When did he uh, start having some problems? Was this right before it or was this later on in life? Oh, boy, that's a good question. I want to say, I want to say later, but I, I honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. Can we talk about the body count that Shawn uh, Michaels Mullet had, though? Because his mullet fucked. Oh, it was dripping. <laughs> dripping. And I'm not talking about the grease in it. There was a kid in the audience that had a mullet that rivaled Shawn Michaels' mullet. If you saw it, the kid was wearing a White Sox t-shirt. And for a minute, I had to do a double a double take. Because I, I thought, wait wait a second now. Shawn's wearing a White Sox shirt. He's a plant in the audience. Right? <laughs> it was so He's doing commentating. He's in the audience. He's in the ring. He's everywhere. <laughs> He's omnipresent, Shawn Michaels. <laughs> That's what you live for, though, 100%. Oh, man, this is so close. Sorry, had to do a fantasy check. So, I don't know if we've mentioned it, but we're doing this during Sunday Day Football. 
Yeah, Sunday day football. That's what I said. Deal with Sunday, it. Sunday I'm day. Because, I mean, we didn't get to the 8 o'clock game, but I will sure as I'll be watching the Ravens versus Patriots. You know what I never saw when I was a kid, though? I never watched a single Kamala match. This was my first one. This was your first Kamala match? Yeah, my first one <laughs> ever. Incredible. Congratulations. Your first Kamala match was two minutes. Yeah. At least I got to see the whole gimmick. He oh, good thing. old Red Tyler. We love that boy. It was, uh, that, that is, it's a hell of a match to, to pop your Kamala cherry. Well, he was still fun. At least I got to see what he's about. You know, the slapping of the ground and the slapping of the belly. I feel like this match was more so just putting over the Undertaker Kamala match, though. This whole thing was a, like a like a selling thing for that match. It was that that was all this was. Is they were it was an infomercial, a two hour infomercial where they sell the match that comes in a week. See, I got really confused because I was watching it and I was like, an hour and thirty eight minutes in. And it was over, and I was like, what the hell? And then I realized they had all the dark matches. But I, I look at it on, like, Wikipedia and, like, stuff like that, too, and I see that they don't even have time frames for the, like, dark matches. So I was like, oh, these probably don't exist anywhere. And then, boom, an hour of dark matches. I like yeah. that, though. I like watching those home video shits. <laughs> it, we'll talk about it in a minute, but there was something that bothered me about it. I had alluded <laughs> it to Kevin a, a little bit. So, yeah, tell me your feelings or tell, do you want to talk about this squash match with Red Tyler and Kamala? Yeah, or? It, was, it was a quick little quick little bang. You know, there was nothing to it. Except for, did Undertaker run him off? No, Red Tyler won. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Wait. Did he win, though, and then Undertaker ran him off by coming out the side, though? Is that what happened? I think so. I believe so. Because I remember the voice. I love all those Undertaker promos, but I remember the high-pitched voice of Paul Bearer coming in. He's like, So, but Red Tyler is actually, he's a Minnesota guy. He's from the Twin Cities uh, and was a lifelong jobber. I never got a chance to see him or anything like that, but I was very excited when I saw, when I saw his name pop up. And I'm, wait a second, that's Red Tyler. That's, that's, that's Minnesota in the ring right now, going to get squashed. I love it. Uh, two big things from the, the, the match with Kamala that I hope you loved as your first Kamala match. His 360 spin kick. That was sick. But no, wait a second now. <laughs> You're going to have Kamala throw a 360 spin kick that, that would stop absolutely no one. I think he might, the height on it, he might have knocked out Red Tyler's kneecap. It was it was so bad, but so beautiful at the same time. And then the, the finish when he didn't know how to pin Red Tyler. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> so this must have been his first run in. No, no, he, uh, Kamala's been around, I mean, he had been around for quite a while prior to this. Um, I think this might have been his first or second stint in, in the WWF at the time. But, uh, no, it, that was, that played into kind of the, the, the whole Kamala, the, the feel of the character. Is that he really didn't know exactly what was going on for sure. So when he rolled him over and then he hooked the leg and he actually just hooked the ankle. And he hooked it backwards. <laughs> And then he rolls him over and rolls him over again to finally put him on his back and pin him. It's it just such a such a great, great character and a great first Kamala match for you. Looking at it from a, like a squash standpoint, his, his finish is just a simple body splash. It was the character altogether is a thing of beauty, just a thing of beauty. I this is so much fun. Like I I miss that's what I miss about old wrestling now because there's none of this. You know what I mean? Like just a lot of fun. Like there's just fun stuff in this throughout it. That was one of the things I thought while watching this this entire this entire show was 
watching this is refreshing. Oh yeah. It is, it is not. Uh, you don't see a spot fest match. You don't see the the regular moves that you always see. Would this type of wrestling stand up now? That's that's really hard to say. I think that if you kind of implemented it slowly, you might be able to get to a point where there's a happy medium. But the, the whole card was just a really refreshing. Uh, it was almost like in the well, up here in Minnesota in the winter, after the summer comes by and you get that first real crisp cold air air, and you open up your front door and walk out, and that cold air just rushes into your body. That was the feeling where it's just like, oh yes. I likened yes, it to like a young Frankenstein, like a Mel Brooks movie or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, that you haven't seen yeah. in a while. But like nowadays, like I showed that to my wife the other day and she hated it because she doesn't yeah. like old shit. And I was just like, you're wrong. <laughs> like there's no way around it. Like you're wrong. Like this is comedic genius and you should know that it's comedic genius. And it's the same with this. It's genius. Even with me, I'm like really hit or miss around older stuff. But this had me the entire time. I really did enjoy this. It was a good showing, and to think this was just hyping up a pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah, and and especially for a squash match. To get that much enjoyment out of a squash match, does that tell you a lot about Kamala? Just just to grab that much grab you in such a short period of time. Uh, The mystery of the character, the the mystery of his moves. He moved very awkwardly in the ring. Yeah. It It was awesome. He really carried it together because that is the one thing I noticed is he was very rough in the ring as far as how his movement was. But overall, he carried the match. And, I mean, he made Red Tyler not look absolutely horrible. Red Tyler got him a little bit of offense. So, go go my boy Ty. Ty, Ty. <laughs> but, like we alluded to, though, this match was more so to set up that Undertaker-Kamala match. And right after, we moved to that Undertaker promo with... Uh, when he was building a coffin with Paul Bearer. And it's funny because I just got finished watching the mortician earlier that day. And they actually make big notice on that promo because that was like kind of Undertaker's coming out party of, you know, now it was time for him to start speaking, not so much as Paul Bearer. And you don't get it as much in this one, but this is like one of three Undertaker promos in this pay-per-view. Don't don't get it twisted, though. Undertaker doesn't say more than eight or ten words in all three of them. No, he... (laughs) No, he had he runs the majority of the second promo, and he well he had a lot to, a lot of work to do in in this promo. He, he was building the coffin. <laughs> He's in there sanding down wood behind. My him. dude was busy woodworking as no breezy day. Well, so, that's a good thing. He's got a good mouthpiece like Paul Bearer to stand in front of him and do his thing. So, Oz Taylor, oh, I uh, I would work in my garage from time to time, and there was this one day where I was like trying to build my guitar pedal board and I was like standing and like I was being made fun of because I'm sitting in my hot ass garage with my shirt off just woodworking away being loud as hell and I was dancing him around him saying stuff in a high voice like Paul Bear I was like you're woodworking again Will stop woodworking and hang out with me and then Taylor left his NFL logo hat in my garage for three months I got it back on though today that's all that matters so two things during this promo that I, that I, I gravitated to. Uh, first one was, is I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, Hawk from the Legion of Doom was oh. the one who gave Paul Bearer his name. He came up with the name for Paul Bearer. Oh, yes. Forever. So that was actually touched on in that documentary as well. Was it? Gotcha. Yep. And, and so, like you said, you, your man the other day was super busy woodworking. Why the hell was he doing any blacksmithing at the end of that? 
Well, you know, he wants to make it a real authentic production, so he's actually blacksmithing his own nails for the coffin. Is that what it was? <laughs> now I feel now I feel very small. You know, and <laughs> it, I think that's actually true, though. That's weird because I remember it now. Those were nails. Oh God! See, as a person who woodworks, I put that <laughs> connection together right away. I was like, my man, he's really going all out making you his build own a couple nails. coffins. Will you know? Back in the day, nails were not cheap. And they were not easy to come by, but he just so happened to have enough raw product to make his own nails at one-fourth the price. But it's just, this is 1992. I'm pretty sure you can get a pretty good price on nails. You'd think so, but not where Undertaker was. You know, parts unknown, there's no lows there. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I don't even know what the GOP of parts unknown is. Precisely my point. So my man was in a situation where he was like, I could try to go to on the internet in 1992. That's not a good time. Dial up a bitch. Oh, let me tell you what I remember a dial up. <laughs> Precisely. And then, you know, Amazon, my dude was selling crack out of a fifth story basement building, uh, barely had his shit together. So you had to be resourceful. And so Undertaker, he was like, hey, because we're in Parts Unknown, there's a lot of weird shit in Parts Unknown, and I have plenty of, like, raw, organic product to make nails. I just so happen to have the world's greatest chimney to do it, and I have, I'll make the tools to do it. And here we are. He's in his weird little uh, Scottish shed, which, I mean, it looked like, it looked like the building from the beginning of Inglorious Bastards. You know, like the like house they're in in the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards. It looked like they were filming there. Prior to that movie, and so he's just making his nails. He's he's a smart man. He's a resourceful man. He's gonna live the rest of his life. He has to have some some sort of skill set. You feel me? I wish you'd narrate over every promo of his and just do this. Like every time he's in a promo, you'd be like a smart man, a resourceful man. He knows how to get his nails. And I was just waiting like if they were playing that out like they weren't shooting it and he's actually building the coffin. <laughs> you know, just... Four, two by four! <laughs> See, I want the director's cut where it's two hours of them just putting a coffin together. And I'd he... like to get the small talk from him where he's like, can you hand me that hammer? <laughs> can. <laughs> You pass me the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be so great. He's just he's just sitting there sanding away going, How's your kid, Paul? <laughs> Light the fires. I'm out of nails. We need more nails. The fire cometh. Man, I'd hate to be Undertaker's psychiatric help. He'd just be like, how's your day going? He'd be like, it's been a long week. Think about all the money you make if you're charging by the hour, though. <laughs> you're right. It might be worth it. It's a big bill for him. It takes him a half a day to like get out three-fourths of a conversation. <laughs> Back to Paul. My Undertaker's a little emotionally shaken. <laughs> Can we talk about how impeccable his son's impersonation of his dad is, though? 
exactly what I thought when I saw him. I feel like his dad had, or his son had been roasting his dad his entire life, and then he got an opportunity to make money to roast his dad on TV, and he was like, everyone thinks I'm hitting a tribute, but fuck my dad. <laughs> Kane was always his favorite son. <laughs> the red-headed stepchild. I, I just bought this, like, Kane long sleeve that's super sick, but I can't figure out if it's a bootleg or if it's, like, some weird collaboration with, like, Chalkline or something like that. Because it definitely doesn't look like anything cool enough for the WWE to ever put out. But at the same time, it's probably one of my cooler shirts I've ever purchased. <laughs> so, you know, the confliction is certainly there. Like, when watching this big boss man, Barry Horowitz match. First and foremost, Barry Horowitz fucks. I'm all about that guy. You don't like that big boss man theme song? Big. Bo- so here's the thing. We talked about it on the main podcast. I like big boss man. But, dude, I can't not look at his attire and see that Confederate flag just raining pride or raining proud on his shoulder. It's got me conflicted. Yeah, I feel you. It was a different time back then. The Ludacris had a whole outfit made of the Confederate flag. Yeah, you're 100% right. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'll say, from all reports, Big Boss Man is an amazing guy. So it might be one of those things, like the nature versus nurture thing we were talking about with... Terry Funk last week on the podcast, you know, where it's like maybe he didn't know any better. Now, did you sail right over Earthquake versus IRS? You asshole! I did. How dare you do that to my man, Irwin? All right, yeah, let's uh, rewind. We're talking about how much Taylor loves him. He goes, you know what? Skip the match. Taylor, we're (laughs) skipping that match. So here's the fun thing, since this is a little bit different. I don't want to do a skip the match. What I'm going to do, though, is once we hit those dark matches, because me and Kevin were talking about it yesterday, they're not they're classic dark matches. I know you've never been to a wrestling match. I want to watch, at least talk about the one with Papa Shango, though, because he's the shit. No, we're going to talk. That, that's like the best of the dark matches. There was like one other, but we're going to kind of keep it pretty quick through those, uh, mainly because I know I see Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, I see you pounding a beer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm like six in. Uh, so got a crook, crook and marker there. Crook and marker. So I was a financially responsible boy today, and I bought a 12-pack of Sweetwater 420 for 15 bucks, which was a, a great buy in my eyes. Uh, but unfortunately, I still haven't dipped into my beer or my football game appetizers. So once we get out of here, I'm going to fill my face before I start cooking dinner. We had uh, – we were – where were we? We were out yesterday and just shopping, trying to pick up the regular stuff. The Crook and Marker were on sale. It's usually, I guess, eighteen ninety five for an eight pack. Oh dear lord! They were, they were down to thirteen dollars for an eight pack. So I, I might have bought ten of them. I don't blame you whatsoever. Uh, there's a really good beer from Terrapin that I like. It's called uh, Jazz Cabbage, and it's a seasonal four twenty beer. And so around the time it puts out, I'll just buy it. Up. That way I have it when it's out of season. So, Taylor, since uh, you have a IRS poster above your bed. I would take an IRS poster if you're thinking about gifts to get me for Christmas. Say no more. Subject. Uh, so go ahead. Start talking to me ben, about this match. Know, I hope somebody out there is listening and just papers you with IRS merch. Oh, I would love it. Dude, He'd get. I feel like he gives the same promo when he walks to the ring every time. Like, I don't think it's ever anything different. I think he gets to the ring and goes, hey, you pay your taxes, you'll be good people. If you don't, eat shit. 
Yeah, he's not a horrible guy. He's just like, hey, you have to be an adult. That's not my problem. It's yours. <laughs> I love it. Like, as far as heels go, he's the heel I understand the most. I get him. I understand I his think game. He's really probably great at his job. I think he does a really good job, and he informs people that you need to pay your taxes. <laughs> you know, he's wrestling by trade now, but there was a time where he had to make money, and he saw people make poor decisions by not paying their taxes. And, you know, they played themselves. They really shit on his necktie through this whole match, too. They're like, he shouldn't be wearing that necktie in the ring. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe man alone. Maybe you should have a necktie, you bitch. He wants to be professional. Let the man be professional. <laughs> who are you to dictate who wears what to the ring? Let my man be himself. <laughs> so what, do you, what are your thoughts on Earthquake, then, Taylor? I know you're big, big IRS. I love, Earthquake? I love a big man that wrestles. Honestly, I love both of them. Earthquake and Typhoon. So I'm on board for both. We had been talking about... We had like dipped on the subject where we talked about how... Today's wrestlers are just better athletes, and Taylor refuses. Well, that's why I like TNA so much, because it's full of earthquake-sized wrestlers. Well, the thing is, with WWF back in the day, WCW, all of them, you didn't have to be a great like wrestler or athlete. You just had to be intimidating half the time. And that I'd was... rather fight like a regular-sized Randy Orton than fight Earthquake, if we're being honest. I'll fight Randy Orton every day over Earthquake. Okay, so you've got me fucked up. I disagree. I I would rather take on Earthquake because I'm pretty positive I can outrun him. That or he's sneaky fast. You know, the hard, the bigger they are, the harder their fall. If you piss Randy Orton off, he will kill you and get away with it. So will Earthquake, and he'll do it with his ass. He'll sit on your face. Maybe kill you, should, you with it. Maybe you should put on some weight, bro, because I feel like I could take Earthquake one on one. Listen. I can beat Randy. All I have to do is just trick him. He's smarter than me. You're probably right. But <laughs> I feel like somewhere I can make him fall in a hole or something. Do you have just a bunch of holes <laughs> dug out somewhere? Well, if I'm fighting Randy Orton and I know he's coming, I'll probably booby trap my house. <laughs> I don't think anything would hurt Earthquake. He'd just run through all the booby traps. Just Let oh. me add some context to the situation. Taylor doesn't have a big yard. <laughs> you can see his entire yard. Without even trying. <laughs> so I can what? imagine Randy Orton walking up to a hole that's covered with like leaves, and he's just like, this fucking idiot. Thinks <laughs> I'm going to fall in this hole that he's stuck with obvious trees across it with a bed of leaves sticking on top. And then what you do is you put like something like a booby trap right next to it, so when he goes a step away, then he gets hit with it. I'm the type of guy that would put a sign next to it that says, like, not a booby trap. <laughs> <laughs> Like Wiley uh, Coyote. Yeah, exactly. That's me. If there's a real life cartoon character, I'm Wiley Coyote. Everything I do just comes back and hits me right in the face. <laughs> like uh, Earthquake's ass did to Ted DiBiase. Yeah, see? I told you. And what so, did he call it? He had a special name for it. Uh, well, booty like bustle. What was it, though? God damn it. When, when he, and I don't know if I'm the only one that took, the, took away from this, when Earthquake hits the ropes, I was waiting for one of the ropes to snap every single mm -hmm. time. Oh, dude. And when DiBiase hooked the leg there towards the end of the match, and you saw back on the brain scan where they showed Earthquake's ass just explode into DiBiase's face, I, I thought he broke his neck. I thought it was over for DiBiase. I think he called it a butt bump. I'm trying to remember what he called it, but the announcer had a name for it. Or butt shot, uh, or butt bump. For Earthquake's finishing maneuver, or for his... Uh, for that shot to Ted. Game. There was a name for that shot to Ted. Like, he, we re replayed it with the brain scan. He's like... You call it the butt head. 
The Butthead. That's it. What a clever, clever name to make up on the spot. Are you living so for the Butthead? Did you... Did you... I don't know, but... Do you know how old... Or if you were to guess, how old is Earthquake in this match? Because I know, and I was blown away when I, when I found out. I'm shooting for probably... 47. I would go late 30s. 29 years old. Holy My shit. guy had some trauma in his early years. <laughs> well, he he's always looked like that. I think he's one of those guys that came out of the womb balding and with, with a beard. Uh, I was I was blown away. I knew he was always younger than you thought. He's he my age. Born. I can't say shit because you should see a picture of me when I was like fifteen. You'll be blown away. <laughs> oh when I was when I was when I was fifteen I looked like a little baby. I was like no, ninety I'm, pounds. I've actually had a full beard since I was twelve years old, not lying. Same. I'm 100% there with you. Holy shit, why am I tired? I've had so much caffeine today. I, I didn't have a beard until I was 22. So you got any much, or you got anything on this? Because, other than we've talked about, because it kind of got ruined to me when we had Ted and Typhoon come out. I honestly enjoyed that. I, I, anytime with Ted is fun time. Yeah, but I feel like it took away because it was actually a pretty good match until, you know, we got a bunch of interference. And I I'm feel like, like you poo on Ted a lot. Give Ted his just desserts. He's the man. No. Ted thinks he's better than everyone, and he's really not. Well, he's really good on a mic. Look at his son, though. If he was so great, he would have produced a great bloodline. But instead, his son <laughs> sizzled out. He went right for his bloodline. Straight to the wow. jugular. He went right to the jugular. He's like, you know, we're not even going to play around. Next shot. Do you remember Ted DiBiase Jr.'s No, run? I don't. Exactly. <laughs> was it that bad? Who wasn't great on the mic and was really really disappointing to see in this was Typhoon. Poor uh, Typhoon. He didn't get a, a mic, but on the, the side of the ring, you heard him say two things over and over and over again, and it was, come on, Quake. Come on, Quake. Come <laughs> on, Quake. And it, it, it took away, I was just drawn to come on, Quake. Like, I wanted to hit a come on, Quake counter, or he was out there and he had to fill his come on, Quake quota. I've been noticing that a it's lot with like, with, like, bad people on mics that they do that, and that's how they trick them into it. It's the same with, like, Roman Reigns. You'll see him say the same things over and over again that are, like, talking points. I wonder if they talking pointed him that. Like, here's what you need to say at least once on the sideline. Or th 13 times. What bothered yeah. me is Typhoon had a better look than Earthquake. Oh, that mullet was, was sick. Sick time mullet. We missed it, though. I forgot to mention. I'm going to grow out my hair and get a Mr. Perfect mullet. Oof. It was so, dude. It had so much drip. We talked about Shawn Michaels mullet having a body count. Mister Perfect's body count has thirteen children. You got to leave nasty, leave nasty boys into it too, though. They but got no. some nice mullets on there. But dude, too. do you remember that episode of Law and Order SVU where John Stamos had one hundred and fifty nine kids? That was Mister Perfect's mullet. I thought that was a documentary. Pretty much, <laughs> uh, the yogurt man fucks. That's what I got to say about that. <coughs> so now let's get back to that big boss man, Barry Horowitz match. Okay, so is Barry Horowitz also nails? Because the no. way that the announcers did it, it was really confusing. It was just nails not in costume. I was mad confused as to what was going on. Well, what sucks about this match is as much as I wanted to like it, it was Wrestle's glory. The entire time they were in wrestles, it's like these dudes got winded out within 30 seconds of wrestling every time. And so you just saw them holding each other, like, you know, making love. I feel like it's almost like a softcore HBO porno. And also, they're just like 90s wrestling. Neither one of them are in shape. Well, the thing about Big Boss Man, I will give him 
the respect once after a while he started to get into shape. This wasn't that part of his life. He was still probably working the prisons back then. That could just be me though. That theme song is dope though. I can't help it, man. Every time it comes on, I get I get hyped. That's a hype I song. Tried, I tried to find out who who wrote that theme song, uh, and I couldn't come up with with the actual the, the writer or the performer of the theme song because you're dead on there. I love that theme song. Uh, my best guess is that Jimmy Hart had something to do with it. Uh, Jimmy Hart had something to do with a lot of the music back then, uh, and and I just. I don't know for sure, but if I were if I were pressed, I would say Jimmy had a hand in it. Certainly not singing it, but he had a hand in it. He's a, a multifaceted, talented man, Jimmy Hart. Yeah, yeah. That's actually one of my one of the notes I put in is that uh, he actually had a top five Billboard hit uh, in 1965 with a band called the Gentries. Hmm. And you know, I have that gold record on my wall. <laughs> You're a super big. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you don't have it, Kevin. With your like, I go, for a short period of time. I need to show you <laughs> the ridiculous little Dollar Tree wrestler figures my mother-in-law got me. She got me like the whole collection, bro. And I may not have wrestling figures with me, but I'm definitely gonna slap those up on the wall. <laughs> Like, yeah. have, have you yeah. seen them? They're really bad replications. I got him one before his mother-in-law did. I got him like AJ Styles. It was for my fiance. It doesn't look like AJ Styles. It looks like <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> oh, wait. No. That does look like AJ Styles. Then. Yeah, you're right. His mom hair is on the list. So, yeah. Do you have anything about the Wrestle Galore match? No. That was uh, probably like... He wrestles so much in this. Does he wrestle three times, including the dark matches? I think it might be twice, but yeah, he does wrestle. He wrestles nails twice. I'm pretty sure. Now he does uh, Horowitz during the during the program, and then nails uh, in a dark afterwards. Uh, the most interesting thing I think uh, during the Horowitz Bossman match was: Do you remember when Horowitz actually got a little bit of a push, and he went over over Skip? Of the Body Donnas, also known as Chris Candido. Do you remember that at all? Oh, yeah, because I love Chris Candido. So that was pegged as his first win of his career. He started wrestling in, I believe it was 79. So his first win came July 9th, 1995. So he goes in the Job Hall of Fame, is what you're saying. 100%. And that's why we... Hats off to you, Barry Horowitz. Yeah, You're Barry Horowitz, I'm in I'm in the boat now. We can be friends. Hats to you, Barry. Hats <laughs> to you. So now we get a tag team match that includes Rikishi. Do you know that, Taylor? I didn't know that was Rikishi. That was definitely Rikishi. I told you, Kevin, that he wouldn't know. I was shocked. I was shocked. I thought pretty much everybody would have picked up on that. It looked like him, but he was in great shape. What yeah. I thought was weird is because Vince McMahon absolutely hates tag team race or he hates tag team racing. He hates tag team wrestling. That this was the main event of this. Well, the no, pick. Wait a minute. Which one is he in? Is he in the head shrinkers? Yeah. For real? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I thought that was a little under, bit of an undersell, but here we wow. go. Wow. That went over your head at first, didn't it? I forgot about this match because this is a weird one. Was he biting people? Yeah. yeah. He was doing the biting? Yeah, that's yeah. a piece. Makes sense. He was just hungry. 
No, maybe Man. if he was wearing a thong, you would have recognized him. Yeah, that's I didn't see his ass. That's had, why I didn't know it was him. He is the guy, boy. <laughs> this was a really weird gimmick. It was the gimmick we all live for, though. How do you feel yeah, about we, the head shrinkers, Kevin? Well, that that was something that they had done for a long time. Uh, they did other other promotions known as uh, the Samoan SWAT team and stuff like that. And that was kind of passed down. It was, it was kind of a cool little gimmick that got handed down throughout kind of the family almost. Um, at one time, actually, Yokozuna was a member of the Head Shrinkers. Uh, very short period of time, and he was known as, I want to say, the Great Kokina or Kokino or Kokina Maximus or something like that. And he wore his hair down. It was very interesting. I always liked the Head Shrinkers, though, as a, as a team. They put on some pretty interesting moves. I know at one point in this match, they did like a reverse uh, double Russian leg sweep. I was like, geez, that, that, that is, I haven't seen that in a long time. It was a beautiful, beautiful move. Uh, and then the finish, seeing Rikishi fly off the top like he like he always did when he was just fat two of the of the head shrinkers. Awesome. You you see him fly, he catches air almost like a flying squirrel. When he leaves WWE and he goes to WCW or TNA later on in his career, does he redo this gimmick? Is he fat two again? I not that I'm aware of. Because I know he had the uh, jean jacket, and I can't remember what his name was, but it wasn't, it wasn't Rikishi. I'm pretty. I'm, my mind is telling me it had fat in it too. Very well could have. I know when when the Rikishi uh, gimmick got introduced, he actually went as Rikishi Fatu. Because I and I can I just watched it the other day with the jean jacket entrance where he comes in for the first time being introduced. I think it was TNA, where he comes okay. in on TNA and it's like. They say his name, but it's I can't remember what it is. And it wasn't Rikishi, and I know he had just left WWE when he did. I like him a lot. He always made me laugh. That Vince butt-to-the-face thing is one of my favorite moments of wrestling all time. <laughs> it's very high it's, on the list. It's, it's, good, it's good to have favorites, man. It's good to have favorites. I like all the funny moments. Like Most people are like, oh, remember that great move? I'm like, no, I remember when Rikishi sat on that dude's face. He's, he's like, like, Rikishi, Rikishi's ass in Vince McMahon's face. William Regal and Drag. Kurt Angle uh, in the small hat. Kurt Angle in the small hats on that list. Yeah. He went by Junior Fatu. Junior Fatu. Yeah, that's what he went. He went by like variations of Rikishi or Fatu. What's his real yeah. name, Fatu? Yeah, I believe that's his family name. Okay. The whole clan has like it's either Fatu or Anoya. I'm pretty pissed off I didn't know that was Rikishi that whole time. Yeah, his full name is Solifa Fatu Jr. Okay, that's fair. I like him a lot now. I'm on board. Rikishi just moved up to number 15 for me. Oh my god. But yeah, so like I was saying, this was uh, the main event. I didn't get the other tag team's name. I actually wrote them down as Jobber McJobbersons. I don't know about if you guys remember who they were facing. I, I have it down as Head Shrinkers versus Question Mark. Because they never announced them, and I, I didn't actually. I know you can, if you go to select match, you can see their names on the network. I think but who wants to do all? I think it's funny that they they made this the main event and didn't even bother naming the second tag team. <laughs> so they're officially Jobber McJobbersons, and yeah, let's talk about the picnic a little bit more. I feel like we touched on the picnic in the beginning. Do we even need to go over that one more time? No, I don't think so. Unless you want to run through how good of friends they were back then. They were uh, BFFs for. But not no more. I don't think that you can still pull off acid wash jeans like he does. I feel like I could, so suck a dick. 
I don't know. Because that's a real, real time period gene. Acid wash? Now, is that different than stone wash? I it's think, the same thing. I think they're the same thing. But he had the little, like, clash thing going where he had the, the leather jacket with the Babe Ruth shirt and the ripped jeans, their acid wash, the big old boots. Why is Tua touching his nipples? That was weird. You, you, it, can't, you can't overlook the boots, though. Brett's boots, that blue and red, and it almost looked like it had Rey Mysterio's mask on the front of them. I loved every second of it, and I kind of want a bear. He, he's just dripping hard in this. It's it's leaking into the in Vince's like man's front yard. And it was a classic. It was a classic uh, underdog Brett type of promo. Um, I thought I thought for what it was, it was it was really good. He uh, shines. People underestimate him his ability on a mic. I think because everybody just thinks of sharpshooters all the time, but he's good at everything. He shines Absolutely. to me every time. And I, I can remember that anti-American one he did where he was in... Was, was he in Minnesota during that? Uh, no, I, that yeah, was it. It was in... Uh, that was where Vince lives. It's in Connecticut. Well, no, I'm talking about that one where he was shitting on America draped in the Canadian flag right before he left WWE. I'm pretty sure... I thought it was in, like, Minnesota or something. Maybe it was, like, Chicago. I don't know. I can't remember. It, it could have been if they, they did the that that pay per view was in Canada and they usually run a Minnesota show around that you know in that in that loop so it wouldn't surprise me I just don't remember off the top of my head. That was a great in ring segment with the mic. Just give him a mic and let him run. You know what I mean? Well, so um, without doubt, we've had about an hour here, guys, and technically we're done with the main event. We've talked about a lot of football. We've talked about a lot of wrestling, and we're not. We're following a different format, I guess. So, I'm here, you're here, Kevin's here, but we're all watching football, and we've gotten to the dark matches. So, instead of doing a skip the match, kind of want to do a quick run-through. How do you guys want to do it, though? Because I feel like we should, like, rank would watch or not watch, and that's what we'll decide if well, we talk about it. I feel like the only reason to watch these is to see the gimmicks. Like, I don't even, like, the match is even hard to watch because of how it's filmed for me. So, I mean, I was getting to see, like, the Monty again, which I'd forgotten existed. The Mountie? I call him the Monty. It's my Hoosier accent. Don't hate me. Okay. <laughs> I think I think looking at the dark matches, you did skip over one very, piece, very, very important piece. Uh, important? Yes, very important piece. Heavy. It was Undertaker's uh, closing promo. Oh, we were, promo. we were going to get to that baby boy. You got ahead of me. But, yes. <laughs> Let's run that's, it back. That's on me, then. That's on me, then. But yeah, so I'll let you kick it off though because you, I see the passion in your eyes. The the promo itself uh, it brought everything together. You know, obviously he did all of, he put in all that work in parts unknown, building the building the the, the casket. Exactly. Blast, Nails blast, don't come cheap. Nailed. They uncovered it with the, the Kamala half moon and the stars on it. They open it up and there he is. That was finished and, nicely. He's a great woodworker. I really like the scene too. How they filmed it, like. Because you could tell Undertaker came out of the coffin and then him and the cameraman basically turned a half circle to put the cameraman in the coffin and do that fade-off shot. That was really well done. That was the only reason I wanted to bring it up. That was such... that It drew me in, the way it transitioned like that and then he closed closed the coffin on the cameraman. I, it, it blew me away cinematic gold and you know it's one of those things where like we were talking about undertaker was, has been real quiet up to here but then he ran the majority of that promo you had paul bearer come in and like 
give him a nod off. But then after that, you gave the ball to Undertaker, and he ran, and he killed it. Yep. Absolutely. It and took the, him an hour to kill it, but he killed it. <laughs> yeah, the, the way the way that the way that that transition took place really really drew me in. Uh, him and switching with that cameraman and then closing the lid on the camera. It was it was it was awesome. It was awesome. I'd love to like research this two year run from him like entering the WWE on that Survivor Series to like this point to see how much like mic work he does or if it's just him just beating the dog shit out of people for two years because i know a lot of what i've seen in research in the last weeks he's just slaughtering everybody that that is essentially what he does uh for that first you know the, that two years i know he had brother love as a as a mouthpiece there in the beginning oh man the brother love uh that gimmick always bothers me why did he have a red face it was horrible because he got sunburned. Why, that's what we do with pale-skinned people get sunburned. We don't know how to go outside and be reasonable and put sunblock on. I actually I actually tell people that I'm allergic to the sun. That way I don't have to go outside. I like that. I'm going to use that. Oh, dear Lord, I just dropped my beat. Oh, no. <laughs> Not what I intended on doing. But no. Yeah, that was a, a real, real good one, I thought. Undertaker showed his uh, showed his worth in that. Yeah, it reminded me of I took a film I took a film class. Uh, I want to say, boy, I would have been like maybe a freshman in high school, and uh, they kind of pointed out like the finer tunings of, of how to draw people in, and it, it seemed like that would have fit perfectly in that in that class. Just representation of, of how to bring somebody in and change change the shot and change the way it's viewed. It, all in one. Especially for what they were working with, like I can imagine the type of cameras that they were using and how not easy that was to make that transition with a big bulky shoulder camera. You know what I mean? Right. right. And I mean, we were talking about it yesterday and looking at it like if they were looking at something in post production, now they'd be like, no, 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 we'll just CGI the coffin around and then we'll make. Taker doesn't even need to be there. He I feel like. We'll do voiceover work and we'll make him and we'll transition it. It'll be, it'll be perfect. We'll animate the whole thing. Back then, they didn't have the type of things. Like they had to really think outside the box as far as as far as how they were going to present something like that. And I thought they did a phenomenal job. I think that that makes it lose some of its luster when they take it, take it and CGI it and play it in like that. And I think that you lose some of the what's the word the fun of it you know what i mean like that's what makes it so much more enjoyable like you said it draws you in and it doesn't draw me in when i know what they're doing with a fake computer generated person you know what i mean it's just not it's never going to hit the same as them knowing the work that they had to put into this promo right right you kind of appreciate it more because of the actual work right for sure i don't know i i don't know I'm, i've got a love affair going with 90s wrestling right now so i could just be a biased dick too so who knows you're always no, a biased Kamala, dude. Kamala appreciates the casket for all the extra work that they could put in to make it. You know, he really could understand the craftsmanship that went into it. <laughs> it would be rude of him not to. You know what I'm saying? I understand. I, I sure as hell appreciate it. So let's go on these dark matches. Uh, which ones do you guys actually want to talk about? Because really, I want to talk about Virgil being great, but only about two minutes worth of it. And then I want to talk I, about that Papa Shango match. I didn't realize how tall Papa Shango is. Like, when I see him as the Godfather, I don't realize he's fucking huge. That dude is a whole-ass unit. Like, I thought he was, like, 6'3". 
He's got to be like upwards of six seven, six eight, right? I, I don't know how tall he is, but I would I would guess they probably build him at being like six foot six, six foot seven. Uh, but he's probably close to like six foot four. In he was range. he was tossing boys in this match. Yeah, he he was one of those characters that that when I was younger went on that line of like almost scaring me. I was like, wait a second, that, that, there's something not completely right there. He can he can do things that are otherworldly, and he was right on the verge of being like, you know what? Maybe maybe I'll change the channel this Saturday morning if, if Papa Shango is gonna be on because I don't know if I need that for my weekend. I don't know why that was on the dark match and wasn't on the main card though, because that match was significantly better that, than some of the matches on the card. Did he have a smoke machine? A fog machine? Yeah, I mean, well, he had to have something. Something had to be in there. I know. I don't know how he got a portable smoke machine this early in the nineties. That seems like a, a, a revolutionary thing that he made himself. Vince had that money to throw, baby boy. Or I suppose they could have just switched it over to, to being battery battery off, and it could have went that way. Uh, but yeah, like this match, it was a cool boy. But it was probably the best out of all these dark matches. My problem with these dark matches is, it, like you said, they were like kind of home video-esque. And some of them had the same camera cuts as the normal card matches, some of them did. Well, I thought I thought there was a few in here that were dope. Bigelow's dope, and it, he's he's green in this compared to what I've seen of him. Oh, but he really did have a great time. But this... he's super green in this, so it seemed like he wasn't as established as what I've seen of him later on. You know what I mean? Because uh, that blows me away. Uh, so he was he's he had been around for quite a while to this point uh, in that match uh, against against Virgil. Bigelow was. God, what was it? it? Would have been 1988. He was in the main event of Survivor Series. So he'd been in a good five or six years then. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was not. He, he had been around. He, he wrestled for a very long time. Well, I know that later on we've been watching those. Later on, what is he in? Is he in WCW later? Yeah. Yep. Where he shows up, and it's like it's a whole different Bam Bam Bigelow than it is here. You know what I mean? Maybe he's older and wiser, or he's got to take his bumps differently. I don't know. You know what I mean? But. It's a different one. It's not the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> not that I didn't enjoy it. I still loved him, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And now, Will, you have to explain to me your love of Virgil. Virgil's just the ultimate underdog back then. And fuck Ted DiBiase. So there's that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Virgil guy. He, Ted DiBiase had no place to make Virgil think that he couldn't be a whole ass unit. And when Virgil takes his clothes off, and I don't mean that in a sexual way, but wait, I mean. Wait, where are you going now? <laughs> so you're making Virgil take his clothes off. Okay. Uh, when he gets in his ring attire, that dude is swole. <laughs> wait, wait a word it. I'm proud of you. Wow. All right. When Virgil takes his clothes off, things get swole. I follow <laughs> Exactly. So I was here for it, and I'm glad he went over. But Bam Bam Bigelow obviously went over as well, and that's the beauty of a squash match. But like we had, you know, talked about earlier in the this event, these are all squash matches. Or there's like, a bunch of them that are squash matches that maybe shouldn't be squash matches. Like I don't feel like this one maybe should have been a squash match. Neither the Papa Shango one. Yeah, this was fun. Well, the Papa Shango wasn't a squash match. That was just a good one, or that was just a good competing. Now the Monty, as you call it. Which makes me want a Monte Cristo, the Monty or the Mountie versus Bret Hart. That was an absolute squash match, and I don't understand why there was two 
or dark matches for the WWF Championship, whereas there was none on the card. That didn't make sense to me. Honestly, so I, played- I believe I believe that they were filmed uh, different uh, different time, different location. Um, I believe I, I can't. I'm not 100 percent on that because even the when they brought out Jimmy Jam Garvin for that uh, that promo piece that he did uh, after the broadcast. That was on October 26th, if my memory serves me right. That was, yeah, October 26th in Illinois. Um, so I'm guessing that some of these were just tagged on, uh, but not recorded that that same night or that same day. I, I'm not 100% on that, though. I also want to know how this was like originally presented. Like, Was this a DVD compilation set, or could you get this on VHS with all these added dark matches, or was this something exclusive for the, paper, or the network? Dude, Jimmy so Jam, Gar- Jimmy Jam Garvin. Presentation. Say that again. It was it was a TV presentation originally. Yeah, no. Well, what I'm saying with all these dark matches, were they included in like a box set type deal, or was this like the first time you could watch these matches was on the network? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, no. I'm I'm guessing that would be on the network. Um, the same reason that uh, so like Jimmy Garvin in that uh, that promo piece that he did with uh, Mean Gene. That kind of slipped in there, I think, before the dark matches started, where Jimmy Garvin turns to Gene Okerlund and goes, has your girlfriend got her her driver's license yet? I'm a married man. You don't talk about me that way. (laughs) That was probably the highlight of all of this. Jimmy and me are birthday buddies. It seemed like they wanted that in the actual event, but it didn't go the way they wanted it to, so they cut it and put it in that. He is so iconic when he's joking around. Like I love him. Funny Mean Gene is my favorite. And that, that piece was actually, I believe, that was uh, Jimmy Garvin's only piece of work for uh, the WWF at that time. He just stepped away from WCW. Uh, he was running with the Fabulous Freebirds in WCW. Mm-hmm. Jumped over there, they did that, and that was essentially, I'm guessing, more like a tryout type piece. Yeah. Uh, they didn't bring him on, and he actually went on to be a commercial pilot for a while before he ended up going back to WCW. I looked him up the other day because I watched that wrestling war or whatever with him in it and the Freebirds. And I looked him up and I was like, oh, he has my birthday? I like this guy. And then I found out now that he doesn't even have a career, barely. So, great. Yep. Your boy is... So, you know who also doesn't have a career? The only person I really want to talk to before we wrap this up is Nails. Because Nails is in the first dark match and the last dark match. And Warrior goes over clean on Nails in like two minutes. And that's what ends this It's because he was so hyped up, the match couldn't go any farther. Like, he had to run to the ring, finish the match, and get the fuck out of they there. They wanted to make sure he didn't have a heart attack in the <laughs> ring. As soon as his music hits, you know it's about to go fast-paced. There was, there, was, there was no redeeming qualities of Nails. I can't remember anything about the character or about his in-ring work that, that really made me want to see anything more of him. Now, during the, during the TV presentation, they did have him do that promo where he climbed the turnbuckle and was reaching for the, the nightstick. Yeah, I'll even pass on that. That he was spitting on the cameraman. And at one point, the camera even shifts, and like he was trying to get out of the way of the spit. There was just there's nothing good about, about Nails. I can't remember ever enjoying anything that, that he did. I can see them like in a production meeting like planning that that way, though, like, we're going to make this guy a hardened criminal and no one's going to like him. And there's no nothing about him that's going to be likable. So not one person can pick him up and be a fan of his. Not one. He'll get so much heat. <laughs> the ultimate <laughs> heat getter. 
And he did uh, he did go to WCW not long after he had his falling out there with uh, with Vince, uh, and I I want to say that he went under the name of like the convict or something. Of course something. he did. Of course he um, did. You sure that's just was... not Sandman? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that might be what Sandman's doing now. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I I do believe it was a very short a very short run. I would have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure he went to WCW not long after. Whoa, yeah. Here's to you, convict and or nailed and or Sandman, whoever you truly are. Hey, uh, you want to do your best Razor Ramon impression for me real quick? I'm going to go ahead and pass, but you can hit me with one. <laughs> I'll have one. <laughs> what is he like? He's like, uh, I got lots of machismo, man. <laughs> Scott, are you here? I hear you. That's, 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 that, I mean, that's not bad. You forgot oozing. With, with Razor and a promo, there's, there's always something oozing. He, he always, like, brings his friends into it and gives them machismo, too. He's like, my friend's got machismo. I've got machismo oozing. You've got machismo. We've got machismo. <laughs> so you said oozing. Does he ever talk about a scab oozing? Oh, I hope not. Golly. I especially hope not when he's old Scott Hall, because that's a weird-looking man. I'm talking about his scabs oozing. <laughs> oh. My scabs, man? Exactly. He's so proud of his scabs, you know. It's his battle scabs. Can we talk about how he kind of has like a Will Ferrell chest? It's very freckly. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> so I'll I'll leave the floor open. Is there anything else to be said about uh, Survivor Series 1992 Showdown? No, I enjoyed it. I did too. How about you, Kevin? Yeah, I thought it was it was very refreshing to watch. Um, just to kind of take a step back and, and remember a little bit of uh, being a younger fan. Uh, it was. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was. It was very fun to watch, and that's what kind of I'll take take away from it. Just refreshing, fun watch. Hell yeah! So uh, as we said, this is kind of a new thing. We definitely want to be doing it on a regular basis. And if you've been following the normal podcast, we're going to start doing reviews with the three of us. So keep an eye out on that shit. Uh, since nobody else has anything to add, this is kind of a free form new boy. So just follow us on everything. You know, you want all the updates and all that stuff. Taylor, you got anything? Hey, Kevin. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, no. Most definitely. Shout out to Kevin, the absolute goat. We've had a weird thing. I killed Taylor's daughter yesterday, so this had to be rescheduled in the middle of football Sunday. That's my bad. I'll take I'll take it for that. We'll try to be more timely next time, Kevin. No, and I, I, no not at all, man. I, I want to thank you guys for letting me be part of this. Uh, this JV, jaded, do you call it a family or is it a faction? Is it a group? Is it a jaded group? The Jaded Fam. Let's go with that for now. I like that. Uh, maybe we'll get some cool name for you guys other than Jaded Fam, but Jaded Fam works for now. Jaded Familia. Yeah, I, I, uh, I really appreciate uh, you guys letting me be part of it. Uh, I, I really enjoy talking to you guys. So, guys, if you could give Kevin a virtual round of applause for his inauguration. Uh, yeah. A pleasure. And we're going to be doing this more. So, yeah, like I said, follow us on everything. Just new episodes every week twice a week maybe three times a week four times a week with how the success of this goes tell your dog to follow us yeah just just your dog your dog <laughs> has a twitch we know it your dog has a twitter um and then speaking of twitch we are launching our twitch here before survivor series this year uh because we'll be doing a live review so keep a look out for that in the next week or so and uh we'll be getting it done kevin do you have anything you want to say before we cut this off uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 
very much appreciate it. Very much appreciate everybody listening. Very much appreciate you guys letting me be uh, a part of it. And uh, and I, I hope I, uh, I I can add a little something along the way. Well, until next time, guys, stay jaded, and we'll see you on Friday or Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to this. Cheers.